Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast. Do you find yourself wondering about the direction of our world? Does it seem strange to you the senseless things people believe and how when they believe those things, it can really mess up their lives? Do you want to know how to articulate your beliefs and what you are seeing so that you can have meaningful conversations with those people around you? Then this is the podcast for you. Welcome to the Salty Pastor. My name is Jesse Mayer. I'll be your host and we can't do this without the Salty Pastor himself. Please welcome Dr. Douglas Peak. So good to be with you, everybody. This podcast is designed for you. Uh, it's designed to help you understand what you believe and why you believe it with clarity. Because we're running into conversations every single day with people around us. We live in such a ideologically diverse uh, environment. And so how do you know what's true? How do you know what's not true? When are you, when is it compassionate to say, Oh, I so get you. Or when is it compassionate to say, yeah, you know, you're completely wrong and you ought to rethink that. (laughs) So I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be doing this because I do this for you and I do this for you to grow in your faith and be a thinking person as well as a heart driven person. Absolutely. And we're in the middle of our our new series called Nonsense, When Life Doesn't Mm -hmm. Make Sense. And really, life can be senseless. Some days for long periods of time, you know, some people never find any purpose in their life. And human beings need to make sense out of their life to really thrive and be happy. This is a basic human drive. If we we know this is a drive, then that drive created by God um, is part of who we are as human beings, Mm -hmm. right? Yes. And a power... There's power in a meaningful life. A senseless life has no meaning. When a person discovers who they are and why they're here, they will have meaning in their life. A meaningful life is where joy comes from in a person, and it's the foundation of spiritual, mental, and physical health. Yeah, and, you know, it's definitely uh, the framework for life. You know, meaning is the framework. And without meaning, there's no way to discover who we are why we're here, but what is the point of life or the purpose in life? Now, John, in his first letter to the church, is refuting this philosophical principle called Gnosticism, and his refutation of it gives us, you and I, today incredible insight into who we are and why we are here. It gives us an incredible insight on the framework from which we as human beings discover meaning and purpose in our lives. So on Tuesday, we studied First uh, John chapter 2, 1 through 17. Mm-hmm. Um, you pointed out there were kind of three biblical principles um, that John gave us. Um, I decided to kind of reverse the order for our discussion today, mm-hmm. but yeah. the first one was verses five, 15 through 17. Um, he tells us, loving the world is the foundation of a senseless life. When we love the world, we lose who we are and why we are here. Mm-hmm. Um, verses 7 through 14, he states, new ideas aren't good simply because they're new. Our faith isn't in the future. Our faith is in Jesus. And then finally, verses 1 through 6 of chapter 2, we can't separate what we believe from what we don't because this creates senselessness in our lives. When we live in a way that is contradictory to what we believe, we will rob ourselves of any meaning or purpose in our life. So where do these principles from the first century apply to our world today? You know, are these just, you know, past people problems like running water? (laughs) Yeah, exactly penicillin, things of that nature. Well, our current world today really reflects 
it really reflects the same ideas and attitudes uh, that the first century uh, church was dealing with, particularly when it comes to this idea of Gnosticism. Uh, the first impact it had in the first century was you no longer had a clear understanding of what was right and wrong. Morality at its core becomes senseless. Now, I'd like to define morality real quick because I think people get hung up on this in, that, in the discussion, and that is whenever people talk about, mor- about morality, they think you're talking about this, this abstract concept out there that people use to try to control you. It's like, I don't want your morality. You know, how, you can't legislate morality and blah, blah, blah. Well, the, the truth of the matter is every single law in America, every single law in Russia, in China, in Indonesia, in Saudi Arabia is based on a moral principle. Okay. So every law is moral by nature. Okay. Now, the notion that you can't legislate morality is a false statement. What I think what people are trying to say is you can't legislate people, you know, to the point where you're trying to control them to become better people. Well, I I agree with that. But morality at its core is the principle that drives all laws. And morality at its core is what drives your life. See, you have a code of honor, which is morality. You have a sense of morality. And when, when you violate your own sense of morality, your conscience pricks and you feel guilty. So that's where guilt comes from. Uh, the other thing that's really important is your morality determines how you interact with other people. So your morality is the framework of communication and interaction with everybody around you. So if your morality says it's wrong for me to indiscriminately go up and slap someone across the face because they stole my parking space, then in your morality, if someone were to come up and slap you across the face because they thought you cut them off in traffic, you would say, well, they're acting immoral. Mm. So, so I want to give us a working definition of morality real quick and understand it's not some abstract personal thing over there, but it's actually woven into who we are. And C.S. Lewis actually makes the point that all human beings are moral, and this is a proof of God because evolution and scientific materialism, secularism has no explanation for where morality comes from in the human psyche. Right. And so, so that's, that's a proof of God. So, so the biggest thing is that to understand morality. Now, Once you understand that, you can basically break down American society into three groups of people. Okay. Okay. Tell me more. Tell me more. Tell me more. Well, the first one is is the followers. There's a group that are followers of Jesus, and this group is shrinking. Okay. But uh, right now, uh, I think in the latest census, only 49% of Americans are affiliated with a church. Right. Now, in that, you know, how many of those people are actually uh, committed followers of Christ? You know, because there's churches out there that don't have anything to do with Jesus. You know, you can form a church around anything if you want. Yep. And so, but uh, uh, what happens is this group of people, and it's probably between 20 and 25% of the adult population, are people who get up each day and they say, I know Jesus and I want to try and follow him in my daily life. Okay, I believe in Jesus, I believe in God, and so forth. Then there's a second 
a second group of people, uh, and these are atheists, materialists, secularists, and these are people who don't believe in God. They don't believe in anything spiritual. They only believe in the material world right here. There's no afterlife. There's no anything beyond that. And this group of people uh, officially is less than 10% of the population. But pragmatically, it's a much higher number. It's a much higher number, probably 20%. You know, uh, it's really interesting. I read a survey and that is, is that uh, uh, five, I can't remember what percentage it was. It was really high, but there's a certain number of atheists who believe there is a God. That's confusing. <laughs> that is an oxymoron. <laughs> That's what that is. It's an absolute contradiction because the whole point of atheism is there is no God. Does that make them, ag- <laughs> is that agnostic? Isn't that like that you believe in some sort of higher being? Well, no, agnostic is you don't know. Since you don't know and you can't, you can't be, be affirmed, sure. I'm not going to make a bet. You know, I'm not going to place a bet. You're just not making any choices. Yeah, I'm not at making all. any. I'm agnostic about <laughs> okay. that. You know, but athe- but to say you're an atheist who believes in God, I just think that's hilariously funny. Uh, so much for always being rational. Um, <laughs> but uh, this this group, you know, I think is but the the vast majority of Americans today are are spiritual. Okay. Okay, that's a big thing. I'm I'm not into religion, but I'm spiritual. Okay, and when you look at what they believe spiritually, they mirror first century Gnosticism in what it postulated. In what way? Just Well, these modern day Gnostics are spiritual people. They they have a love-hate relationship with religion. On the one hand, they love religion, they love spirituality, belief in God, because they believe it fosters morality. Okay. It fosters charity. It helps people do right things. It fosters uh, uh, this sense of altruism. But they hate it because they think religion creates fanatics or people, what I say, uh, people with principles. So today, if you have, if you have principles, then you're considered you're a fanatic. You're a salty today, Pastor. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm feeling the salt. So spiritual morality, though, this is what's really interesting. Gnostic morality or spiritual morality is really interesting because when you actually have a conversation with a person who says, well, I'm not into religion, but I'm spiritual, what they do is they remove all principles and convictions. So the, the conviction that they end up happening is it almost always comes out like, well, I, you know, I believe in an afterlife and I believe in spirituality and stuff. But what I don't like about religion is it judges other people. That's kind of the structure of the thing that I hear the most when I get in a conversation with people who are spiritual. Right. And so I say, so basically, you want to believe in a God or believe in an afterlife, believe in a heaven with no principles, no structure, no nothing. And they're like, well, I wouldn't phrase it that way, but I, I, I guess so because we can't judge people. That's the unpardonable sin is judging people. Right. Um, you know, and then they always throw, they always misquote Jesus because Jesus said, don't judge. And, and I always like Finn, and I go, lest you be judged, you know, because by the standard that you use is the standard by which you will be judged. Right. So they're like, oh, did he say that too? Yeah. Context is important. Yeah. And, and you know, if I quote, if I only quote half of what my wife says, I'm really not being that honest. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. she, she says, I told you to go to the store and pick up milk and chicken. And I say, you said go to the store and get milk. 
how's my wife going to feel when I don't show up with a chicken? Not great. <laughs> yeah, not great. <laughs> Rightfully so. <laughs> but you see, when you believe as a spiritual person, you, you strip all of the principles out of it. What you do is you end up with only one virtue, and that's compassion or tolerance. That's it. No, non-judgment. We're not here to judge. We're only here to love. Mm. You see, and I'm, I'm all I can tell you this much is, you know, I love my mama and I praise God every day. She didn't love me with that definition of love. Right. You know, my mom loved me when she said, you're going to take a bath whether you need it or not. My mom loved me when she said, you need to brush your teeth. My mom loved me when she said, you need to eat your vegetables. She says, you're going to go to school. You're going to study. You're going to do this. You're going to, you're not going to treat people. You're going to quit getting in fights. You're going to stop. You know, my mom had all these principles and rules that I was supposed to follow. And that was an act of love, you see, by teaching me those things. So in Gnosticism or in spiritual morality, you strip out all your principles. So you're in, so what is love, you know, well, it loses all of its definition. Now, I'll be a little salty here, and one of the things that really drives me nuts is when people say, well, love is love. And I say, well, stupid is stupid. <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. When you say that, that means nothing. Love is love. Define your terms. What do you mean by love? Right. Right? Uh, you, and, until you define your term, what you're saying is senseless. Well, that's the number one principle when I used to be on the debate team is you had to define your yep. terms as you were debating them. You couldn't just say... Well, you know, we're, we debated on like these policies and we always had to define the terms within the policy because otherwise the other team could, if you don't define them in your opening argument, you leave it open for the other team to define, get, it. define it. And then you have to play by, by their definition. If you don't define the term when you start, yeah. they get to define the term. And that's basically the same thing you're saying is if you don't define it, then it's whatever the other person is. And then you're always on the back foot or you're always playing to whatever their version yeah. is. So, so look at it this way. You have a conversation. Let's pick up on your illustration. Now, you, you're in a conversation. You live in a world where words mean nothing. Words mean absolutely nothing. Um, has anybody ever experienced that? I have. Yes. I, I have that. When, when I moved to Italy, right, the, I, I went into a store. Everybody spoke Italian. They were making sounds with their mouths, but, but it, I did, but not, it comprehend was, I did not comprehend any of it. And so I, I was like, everything that's happening here is absolutely unequivocally senseless to me. I had zero understanding. Right. Of what was going on, you know, through the language. So just imagine living your life this way. You live a life without any spiritual definition in your life. This is why this notion of I'm spiritual, you know, which is Gnostic philosophy, is, is senseless. It creates senselessness in your life. Nothing means anything anymore. So, I mean, what does this spiritual belief system do to people when it has no firm principles, no truths to hold on to, no direction, no purpose, no definitions? Like, what is that doing to people? I mean, I, I, have, a, I have an idea of, you know, it's going to be senseless. Yeah. It doesn't mean anything, but what else? Well, the first thing it does is it makes you a very weak person. You're very, very weak. And if, if in spirituality the thing is don't judge and don't, you know, uh, uh, just have compassion on people, mm. then then everybody else becomes weak because uh, I, I'm reading a, a a book by a philosopher 
and he talks about the triumph of the expressive self, and he does a philosophical breakdown in our society where we got to this point today. And he starts off his book, he says, here's a phrase that would have been considered senseless to my grandfather. But today, our society accepts as normal. And then he writes, here's the phrase, I am a man trapped in a woman's body. So he said, my uh, grandfather's generation would have considered that a senseless statement because they would have looked at that and said, well, how do you know? How would you know that? Right. Because you aren't a woman, so you don't think like a woman. You've never experienced life as a woman. You don't feel like a woman. You don't, uh, you've never been in any society where, where, so you have zero frame of reference in order to make a judgment that you are in fact a woman in a man's body. So they would have heard that and laughed because it was, is nonsensical. But today in our world, that makes perfect sense. And the reason it makes perfect sense is if we were really to really use accurate language, what the person is saying is, I don't like who I am or I don't know who I am. So I think I am a woman who's been misgendered in a male body. And so, so what happens is the first thing is that because we operate this way, we celebrate this expressive self and right. we embrace it because we, we want to be compassionate. We don't want to judge. We don't want to create emotional distress because guilt and emotional stress are the unpardonable sins and you can't commit those. We don't want people to feel shame or guilt, right? Right. And that comes from this notion in spirituality that compassion is the only virtue you have. And so what it does is it creates this spiritual weakness. You become weak mentally, you become weak physically, and you become weak spiritually. And there's some people in our society that have kind of picked up on this in the last couple of years, and they say that, that people who have succumbed to this are snowflakes. You know, they've, they melt at the first hot situation. And the problem is, is that life is nothing but a hot, problematic situation. Life is difficult and it's really hard. Right. And, and the key isn't to be weak. The key is to be strong. And how do you grow courageous and confident and strong in the midst of this tumultuous environment? And so spirituality creates senselessness and senselessness creates weakness in you. Now, the other thing that it does is make you weak because it denies evil. See, Gnosticism denied that evil existed, even though they believed that the material world was corrupt. Okay. But it, there was nothing really wrong with it. It was because it, it was already corrupt. I know this is kind of weird to understand. Is it kind of like we don't consider like a disease to be inherently evil? Like it's just a. It just I mean, is. It just is. Is that yeah. kind of their thought process? It would be like, you know, we we can give it some like, you know, this disease right. is a menace or whatever, but inherently a disease is not thinking it it's just a disease. It doesn't have any moral principles. Yeah. It just is I think is that's corruption. a good way to look at it from the Gnostic perspective. And the outcome of that is that well, evil doesn't really exist. Now you hear this a lot among atheists, right? Right. So if someone says 
uh, well, an earthquake came through, you know, Mexico City and killed all these people. They go, boy, that was evil. They go, well, no, that wasn't evil. It wasn't good. It just was. That's earth. You know, if you get cancer and die, that's not bad. That's just is. Right. <laughs> right. There is no evil out there because there's no standard by which to make a judgment whether something is evil or not. Anyway, in atheism. So when you deny the existence of evil, then what you end up is removing any responsibility of yourself to counter it. See, okay. so I, if I don't believe in evil, then I really don't have to do anything about it. Okay. I don't, I don't have to work that way at all. Now, the second thing it does, which is really kind of interesting, I think, is this is that when there is a senselessness about your life and you become a weak person, then what it does is it brings an emptiness to your life. And this is where senselessness really impacts you significantly. And that is because there's no evil, there's ultimately no morality. No morality results in a loss of identity. You don't have a code of honor. You don't have anything that guides you through life. And you don't, and this is the ultimate thing that it does, is it removes any potential for you to take responsibility for anything. And as everybody will tell you, taking responsibility for your life and for your situation, the condition of your heart, the condition of your soul, is the first step in becoming. It's the first step in discovering. It's the first step in knowing who you are. I mean, all of the greatest stories, I mean, just in general, all of the best stories, the protagonist always finds a purpose. Right. They have a thing to do. And that's what usually creates some character development that they achieve some better form of themselves by the end. But it always starts with, this is the thing I need to do. This is the sense I need to make of the world, you know, whether it's an injustice of an evil villain or it's some, you know, world catastrophe or whatever, they find purpose and they grow once they've found that purpose and they've made sense of what they need to be doing in the world at that moment. Yeah. And I think that's really critically important is that we are in this world and we have an opportunity to discover who we are in Christ in this world and that basically means that we are going to struggle through it. And the only way we can discover who we are in this world in Christ is when we live according to the principles and the convictions that Jesus Christ has given to us when he awakens us from the soul death through redemption by his blood and made us alive in him. And so this is what I think is really a problem for people who say they are Christians today. Uh, many people who are spiritual think they're followers of Christ, and they're not. And, and the thing is, is, that, is that what a spiritual person, the first thing that they will say to me is, well, you can't ever say who is a follower of Christ or not. And I would respond by saying, well, Jesus does all the time. Right. Jesus says, this is what it means to follow me. If you aren't following me, you're against me. <laughs> you're not on my team. And well, how do I know you're on my team? Well, in Matthew chapter seven, Jesus says this. He says, not all who say to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but those who do the will of my father. 
So I can tell you right now, and I know this is salty, but I say this because if you don't live this way, you're going to live a senseless, compromised, weak life. And that's this. Do you get up each day thinking how you don't have to follow Jesus? You want to get around his his convictions and principles and his code of honor, how many scapegoats, trap doors, and things that you can slither out of in following Jesus so you can do what you want. You're not a follower. You don't love him. You don't care about him. All you see him is some cop who's going to write you a spiritual hell ticket if you get caught. You're playing a game. You're not a real person. You're a fake person. You, you got to get up. The, some of the greatest people have the biggest problems in life that follow Jesus. They get up and they go, man, I'm a broken mess. I can't figure this out on my own, but I am going to call Jesus Christ my Lord, and I'm going to endeavor to do the will of my Father. And this is really important to understand is that if you don't figure this out in your sex life, your life will be meaningless. And then ultimately your relationships will be meaningless. (laughs) That was a large transition, Pastor (laughs) What? Well, but see, in our world today, (laughs) what is the number one thing when it comes to sex? What is it the number one thing is that whatever I want sexually is true, honest, and right. Right. My identity is based on who I want to have sex with. Well, I'm oriented towards having sex with this person. Uh, maybe it, it's based on their gender, or maybe it's based on their status in a relationship. You know, people say, "Well, I'm only going to have sex with women who are married." You know, that was James Bond thing when he started right. out. A lot of people don't remember that. Um, and I'm only going to have sex with uh, you know people who are children. I'm only going to have sex with. Uh, this, or you see what I'm saying is that our, our entire mentality and philosophy of sex and sexual activity is based upon what our, our, our unfettered sex drive. And if anybody wants to say anything that says, well, that's probably not true, then that person is phobic. Right. And you put whatever adjective you want in front of us, that person is a bigot. That person is judging me. And, and so what happens is that's why I think this concept and principle is so important is you get up in the morning and you say, well, my goal is to express myself any way I want sexually. I'm going to build my identity around my sexuality. Oh, and by the way, I'm a follower of Jesus. That doesn't really work. Doesn't work. And, and some of them say, oh, you're so, uh, well, no, no, let me say it this way. I'm not trying to judge you. I'm just trying to say is that you're trying to squeeze blood out of a turnip. It just doesn't work. You're trying to fly without wings. You're trying to drive a car while you're blind. You're, I mean, I could go illustration after illustration on this. The bottom line is, is that that is a contradiction and senselessness comes when you say you believe one thing, but you live in the opposite. You get that dissonance and then it starts. Yeah. And then you wonder why you have blackouts or you wonder why you're depressed or you wonder why you have massive amounts of anxiety. And the reason why is because when it comes to your sexual identity, you've been told by the world in which you live is, is it who you want to have sex with? Your sexual drive is the most important thing about you. And because it's the most important thing about you, you can build an identity around it. Meaning uh, I'm going to pursue whatever these feelings and emotions tell me. 
me, you know, my attractions tell me. And then in the end, I'm also going to say, but I want to be a spiritual person and I want to believe in heaven and God and Jesus and all this kind of stuff. And Jesus would say, uh, I'm sorry, there's only one king. There's only one Lord in your life. And that's me, not your sexual pursuits. Um, Now, does that mean that that if you were born with certain desires and drives and or maybe you uh, had them develop over time in your life, you know, there's a debate about where those things come from. Does that mean, oh, that's oh, that's the caveat. You're off the hook. You know, God made you that way. Well, no, because the concept of original sin is that the world has been corrupted. Right. Right. And so we're, we're born into that corruption and that influences us. And so we, we just have to make a hardcore thing is that a choice. And that is if we want our lives to make sense, if we want our lives to have any clarity about them, any meaning, any purpose, any code of honor, any conviction, any strength, any power, uh, uh, any courage, then we have to say, am I going to follow myself or am I going to follow Jesus? And this means at every level. It's not just sexuality. It's money. That probably the other biggest thing in America is money. Money drives the decisions of of uh, Christians spiritually more than anything else. Mm. And you see this in the rate at which Christians give. You know, I mean, uh, in churches today, sixty percent to seventy percent of regular attending Christians give nothing to their church. Zero, zip, nada. And, and then they say, oh, well, I'm a follower of Christ, and I am so excited, and blah, 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 and, you know, I'll, I'll help, you know, in a food pantry once in a while, or I'll take out trash, or I'll serve in the children's ministry, you know, once every three months, and, man, I'm good. And Jesus would say, yeah, no, you're not. No, you're not. You're not good. And what I'm saying, Jesus say, what I'm trying to tell you, if I were Jesus, he'd say, what I'm trying to tell you is you're not good because you don't understand the fundamental, the fundamental structure of our relationship. And that is I'm king and I've set you free and you're going to continually live a weak, senseless life until you understand the purity of devotion to me. Because that's the only path to freedom. And it's not that he needs your money. It's, well, it's that not about money. It's not even about the money. It's literally about where your heart's at and exactly. what you're, what you're doing with that. So yeah. whether you're willing to submit and say, this is what I was asked to do, so I'm going to do it. Or, well, he doesn't, you know, you sometimes you even hear that he doesn't need my money. I'm just going to give him this other thing. And it's like, but it's not about the money. The yeah. money's not the thing. It's a heart condition thing. Yeah. It's not a, it's not a physical act. And what people will say, well, yeah, but I'm working on my heart. I'm growing in this area. And what I have found is that, that people that, that are in that situation that are Christians are the same people that are just so upset at the direction of our society. They're so upset about the, the sexual promiscuity, especially when you have kids and your, your girls enter you into middle school. And, then you're <laughs> and suddenly you're just like, holy guacamole, you know, my poor daughter. You know, how can I insulate her from this? Well, good luck. You see pornography uh, for your middle school boys being downloaded onto their phone through text messages. And you're going, holy guacamole, how do I protect my son from this? Right. And you suddenly realize that your children are being targeted by this. And it just infuriates you about how it happens at school and it happens on TV and in movies and everywhere else. And you're going, oh, my goodness. Um, how do I protect my kid? I just want my kid to grow up and have a healthy sense about their sexuality. And 
then you get to this point and you go, why isn't the church doing more about this? Why isn't the church? I, I can't tell you how, how many articles I read and how many people say stuff. Well, the church should be doing this. And they have this long list. Why isn't the church doing this? Why isn't the church doing that? Man, if the church was stronger, then maybe we would do this. And what nobody knows is that, well, the church is pretty much starving to death because 60% of the people that go through it don't give anything. Right. So if you want a powerful church, then a powerful church is built upon the powerful faith of its people, right? Well, how do you know that our faith is powerful? Is that we follow Jesus Christ as Lord and King in every area of your life. That's called the principle of the first. So, so the, the, the end result here is this, is don't be an atheist. Don't be a spiritualist. Be a follower of Christ. It's only then will your life make sense. It's only then will you have clarity. And you can't compromise the core question of who you are in your soul when it comes to Jesus. And so embrace the full Jesus. Embrace the complete Jesus, the authentic Jesus, and grow towards him. Now, there may be things in your life you struggle with all of your life. But that's not the point when you're holding on to Jesus. It says in 1 John, you know, he is faithful and just to do what? Forgive us our sins sins. and cleanse us from all unrighteousness when he's the center. But if he's not the center, then I am tripped up, locked into a senseless existence where my faith grows cold and my relationship with him is lukewarm. Well, I think that's a great place to end for today. Um, We're just really excited to hear more about this on Sunday um, during your sermon, and we're going to be talking a little bit more about this. This series is going on for a little while, so we're going to have a lot of discussions about 1 John. We're just so glad you guys are joining us. Please have these conversations. I mean, you're you're starting to hear these things about people's um, lack of excitement or basically just kind of accepting of all, and you can start having these conversations about, well, when you except everything, then really everything means nothing because then there is nothing like nobody's opinion has any value because it's just not whatever. It's whatever you want it to be. And that just devalues you. It devalues them. And you can start having these hard conversations of like, what are you really doing with your life? Because what you believe is one of the most important things about you. Absolutely. So thank you guys so much for joining us here on the Salty Pastor Podcast, and we'll see you here on Sunday at Foothills Christian Church. Signing off.